Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 120 of the Apolog Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. Welcome to this show. Hey, do you want to get somebody something unique for Valentine's? Then you need 3D printing done. Go check out my new store, insightrecorders.com slash 3D prints. You can choose from a few things there. It's kind of cool. Uh, the coolest thing is this thing called lithophanes. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. And what they are, are look like globs of plastic until you put light in the back, and then it's actually a picture. And you can send that picture in and have it 3D printed. That's the best part of it. Also, this episode, this episode is actually brought to you in part by Amazon. If you're a Canadian, you can go to apolog.ca slash Amazon, and that'll take you directly to Amazon. And you can shop, support the show, help the show out, cost you no extra money. If you're from the United States or from the UK, you can go to apolog.ca and click on the banners on the right side. You can locate your country, whether you're from Canada, United States, or UK, and bookmark those linked banners. And every time you shop, same thing. You're supporting the show. Cost you no extra money. If you're interested in supporting the show on a monthly basis, you can go to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much, as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees. Cancel at any time. And thanks to whoever's jumped on there. It's very cool. Inside Recorders is a very cool place to get your recordings done. I'm taking bookings now for the summer. So you want, if you're in a band, you want some recording done, go to insightrecorders.com slash rates, check out the rates, and then check, click on the contact, contact me, and we'll get some recording done. Also, if you have a band and you want some online mixing done, you can send your recorded album to Insight Recorders and it will be mixed and mastered to add a professional touch to your recording. You also have a system there that you can log on, listen to your recordings. There's no like Dropboxing and Google driving. It goes straight there. It's, it's a cool system. Go to appalock.ca to go purchase a t-shirt or go buy the Foursquare Discography. That's my old band for $20. It's over 70-odd songs. Hey, check the show out on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Subscribe to it. Give it some stars. Tell some friends. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Pod and follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Today's guest is an old friend of mine, Bill Priddle. He is the founding member of, not j- well, two great bands from Canada, actually. One being Trouble Charger and the other one being Broken Social Scene. Both bands are still kind of kicking around today, I believe. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into it. But Bill is a very talented guitar player. He supported the early days of me when I was st- kind of getting serious about writing songs. He would come out to my studio and play some solos. And in turn, I would do. I did a bunch of uh, demos for Trouble Charger, as well as I was their guitar tech, tour manager, sound guy, all different times. And uh, I ended up working for those guys. I have a gold record from them. And then Bill just sort of just, just you know, Trouble Charger ceased to be. He quit Trouble Charger and just sort of, you know, stopped talking to those guys. But I saw him on Facebook, and I know that he's a pretty prolific guy. He's good at writing songs. And uh, I asked him to be on the show, and he said yes. So check it out, everybody. Thanks for, do- thanks for doing the show, Bill, by the way. And thanks for listening to the show. Here he is, Bill Priddle on the Apolog Podcast.
Bill Prittle and I go back to late 90s. I'm going to say 1998. And we met through your band Trouble Charger, and I was your guitar tech, and then I was your sound guy, and then I was your tour manager sound guy, and then I didn't work for you anymore. That's a brief synopsis of Bill Prittle. Yep. <laughs> so, Bill, I know we haven't talked in a very long time, but uh, I always see you on Facebook, and I see that you're always up to music somehow, or you're doing something. What's going on? Well, I'm, I'm living in Sault Ste. Marie now. Um, I've been here for about a year and a half. And, uh, so I've been playing in town around a bit. Um, there's a, uh, the, the one sort of original music indie rock venue here called Lop Lops. They had a thing, they have a thing every year, um, organized, organized by this guy, Frank Doresti. And Frank Doresti has a band here called Frank Doresti and the Lake Effect. Um, I mix his records. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's right. I thought I saw you. Yeah. So Frank's band opened up for Trouble Charger three years ago here. And uh, and when I moved back a year, about a year ago, I said, Frank, do you want to be in a band with me? And, and so now I have my band, uh, which I used to be called the Priddle Concern, but we've I've kind of resigned myself to the fact that's a terrible name. So now it's uh, now it's uh Bill Priddle featuring Frank Doresti in the Lake Effect. It's not much better, but I've hey. always been bad with names. <laughs> um, so what's it like moving back home? Because you, you were in Toronto for, gosh, had to be over 20 years. Yeah. It's weird here. It's very strange here. Yeah, the politics are they're still there, but they're smaller. Um, but there's still politics nevertheless, though, right? Oh, I don't. I don't describe things that way. It's just, it's just a small town. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I've been living downtown Toronto for 25 years or so. And now I'm back to like Brampton. It's kind of like Brampton (laughs) only, only it accepted in Brampton. You can't drive 10 minutes in any direction. And then you're in like beautiful wilderness. Oh, absolutely. And you got family up there still and, 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 and all that stuff. And you can make use of, your camp and your cottage and uh you know i can imagine you know moving home from toronto must because moving to a smaller town i I live in a smaller town now too and moving out of toronto was i don't know to me it felt good it felt it felt good because i didn't have to deal with toronto ish stuff yeah toronto's getting it's crazy and it just wasn't there wasn't much about toronto that was you know working for me Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, you were you were playing down there for like the whole time. You weren't just like waiting, for, yeah. waiting for Trouble Charge to get back together. But you knew you're busy. Like, what other? You know, you played. You were. You weren't. Were you in a band with um, Brendan Canning? Uh, well, I'm. I'm a founding non-member of Broken Social. Scene. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, founding non-member. I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um. Start before we were before it was Broken Social Scene. It was. It was Brendan. Kevin Drew, Charles Spearin, and uh, Justin Paroff and me in Kevy's basement. Mm-hmm. And then I went, then I was probably on tour with either Wide Awake Board or, yeah, I was, we, when we were making, when we were making um, our last album, what was it called? Detox. Yeah. 
they were making you forgotten people and we were like a two blocks apart we were just on spadina street south of queen and they were at at dave newfeld's place uh just up from the uh cameron house and and i was not having a good time recording detox uh things were not so friendly with greg and i and uh and I just thought it was everything was like compromise. And then I'd, I'd finish up and then I'd go over to, to Newfeld space and I'd be like, wow, you guys are so lucky. You get to do anything you want. Yeah. It, With music. Yeah. I mean, it, it's much, you know, obviously it's leaving like obviously trouble, like trouble charger being such like a, a, a sort of a, there's a formula there and it has to follow a certain formula. And it must be a tricky thing, you know, like I want to talk a little bit about like sort of like the challenges of being in the Canadian music industry because you you guys lived through the whole thing, man, like all the way through from where it was kind of there and then it everything disappeared in the early 2000s, kind of. Yep. And then slowly but surely the industry kind of figured out how to be the industry again and you know, on on different different playing field or on a different playing field. And, you know, you explained like, you know, because... It's so funny. You and Greg were just like completely different people, but you grew up together. So you've known each other longer than each other. Like you've known like, most people in your life. So yeah. it must be, a, you know, it's a, it's like a brotherly thing or was it like a a business thing? Like what what was that? And it still yeah, is no, trouble it was, charger. It's a different thing now because I talked to Greg and Greg's saying it's a whole different thing now. Like everything is yeah. just much more relaxed. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, you know, when, when I left Trouble Charger, I thought like, I don't want to talk to that guy for a long time. And then very quickly, it was, it was, we both came to the realization that, that, you know, we're, we're pretty much family. You know, it's hard to avoid someone when, when both of you are, are going to visit each other's parents. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And well, I mean, like, like all family family is just, you know, dysfunctional and there's always some sort of weird thing that will drive families apart. And then eventually, you, like you say, your family, you're going to eventually have to, you know, communicate with each other and, you know, without getting into all the crazy details. But I mean, you know, describe the, like the frustration of like doing, playing on a record of, on a band that's actually a Juno nominated, you know, like what, what, how frustrating, what, I mean, what, what do you mean by frustrating? Uh, uh, by the end, you know, it was kind of when we made those last two records and we kind of went from indie rock, alt rock to, to pop punk. And then we kind of, and we changed management and we had big management and it was like, we kind of can I swear on this podcast? You can swear all you want. Yeah. It, was, it was kind of like we said, fuck you to our audience. And we were like, yeah, we don't care about you anymore. We only care about 15-year-old girls now. And so we'd play these shows. And for me, I just remember feeling like, like all everyone in the front row was just, they were just 15-year-old girls and they were just there to see Greg. And they they tolerated my songs so they could get to Greg's song. So when I played one of my songs, they were all looking at Greg. And so I kind of thought, you know, I'm really, I'm really proud of what I did on wide awake board. 
and I thought at the time it was some of my best songs ever. And then when it came out, I thought no one that likes, no one that would like these songs is going to hear this record. And everyone that does hear this record isn't going to like these songs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that happened with a lot of bands because there was a lot of issue between, because you were two lead singers. You're both primary yeah. songwriters. You both had different ways of writing songs, although it probably wasn't like that in the NC-17 days. You kind of, or, you know, maybe you, you came in with your songs and Greg had his songs, but there was sort of a cohesiveness to it. But that, that was kind of, that was sort of me. <laughs> yeah. our, our old sound guy nick used to say when people used to say when's bill gonna put out a solo album nick would say he already put out a solo album it's called <laughs> nc17 yeah no i get it i get it but there is it's such a tricky proposition to try and chase down the industry to like your your, your music and in what i'm getting is that you felt compromised on what was considered art and what was considered a commodity and it must be very frustrating for you or, or tough for you to, to deal with because you're, you're dealing with something that you're, that's so personal and close to you, yet you have to then throw it onto something and, and maybe get ridiculed for it. Well, and we were both, you know, we were just in a bad situation, Greg and I, because both of us thought, well, I'm doing what I think is right, but the other guy is just doing like, what the hell is he thinking? So I was thinking like, you know, why doesn't he want to make art like me? And Greg was thinking, why doesn't he want to make money like me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, I can't say one approach is, you know, and that, you know, the record companies, <laughs> they were pretty good at dividing and conquering. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone was all, all our producers. I mean, this is the way producers work. They, they see that, that, that the band is like this and then they go, they must, you know, all the big producers we worked with, they both was like, oh, you know, it must be so hard for you working with Greg, you know, when you're such a genius and he's holding you back. And, <laughs> and they were probably saying to him, like, oh, it must be so hard for you to work with Bill. He's such a perfectionist and he hates everything you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get, you know, I understand. And I was on both sides of that, too, because. And then and then you also the record companies were always like we hate the two lead singers things. We hate our marketing department hates that. They want one guy. Yeah. Yeah. You so know, we were on RCA. There was literally factions in the, in the company. And some people were like, Bill should be the lead guy. And some people were like, Greg should be the, the lead guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well that happened to Jimmy Eat world. I don't know if you know about that, but they had two lead singers in their oh, yeah. band in the late nineties. And they were that. told that, Nope, Jim's got to sing. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give a few songs away for, but, Primarily, it turned into one lead singer, but I think in your case too, uh, Blink One Eighty Two broke, and that sort of like softened the uh, right. the, the 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 point of view. And as we know, people in the record industry are are pretty uh, polarized, and, and they can be on either side of the fence real fast, depending on what's popular. And it's that's a scary thing too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, when they uh, when they want. When they want you to, um, I mean, <clears throat> was there ever a situation like where you ever sat down and said, "Okay, Greg's the singer now," or was this something that you guys uh, quietly just? There was a there was a really nasty meeting with management where our management person said to me, "Okay, here's how it's going to work now, Bill. We want you to we want you to uh, get contacts. We want you to wear a hat. Uh, we want you to sing less of your songs and uh, cut out all your guitar solos." Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that that sounds like an awesome idea. <laughs> Believe me, Bill, I went through the same thing. I was told to lose 30 pounds and learn how to sing. So, uh, so uh, I, <laughs> I can sympathize with that, you know, on several levels. And, uh, and I can understand, you know, and, you know, but being, being able to sort of break away from that and, and quit the band, how did your state of mind must have gotten better when you could actually, you know, open up your mind a little bit more to then just trying to keep into like a little cookie cutter formula. Like, I guess so. Was it, was it a, what was there like a, like a leaving? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm afraid now. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. Well, I mean, I made my record and it, it, you know, didn't exactly tear up the chart so it's kind of well you wouldn't expect it to though right i mean was was that an anti thing where you're trying to like speak against formulaic rock and roll no i think in a certain certain way i was i was uh, i i had the mistaken idea that that you know a small person a reasonable percentage of travel charger fans would just rush out and buy my record so Mm -hmm. like Ten thousand of them. Yeah, and and that you know was. I was it took. I took too long, and well, that's a tough thing too. I mean, starting your own band from nothing basically start. You're starting it from scratch, so you have to like. Yeah, it's a it's a tough thing. And when when was that? That would have been like two thousand and. Uh, the record came out in two thousand and seven. Right, so at that point. The industry was still kind of like, oops, yeah, yeah, did it all gone to shit. Yeah, it's over at that point, right? Like it sort of started in two thousand and two. So I was shocked that you know there wasn't a booking agent that wanted to 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 sign me and put me on, you know, put me on tour. Yeah, it was like I was I was a forgotten person. I I'd, I'd never thought that the the industry would discard me. Well, that's a political thing too. I mean, that's that's that's. Being political in this industry is a funky thing, and if you kind of, you know, I paid for it too. My, I paid for it when I tell a certain amount of people in the industry to go fuck themselves. They end up being like people of position, and then I'm like, hi, sorry, I told you to go fuck yourself, but uh, you know, maybe you could help me out. <laughs> and uh, chances are they don't. So, I mean, I'm not saying you did, but I mean, it generally that's how political this world is. And if people are talking, you know, about it, then who knows, right? Who knows how these things work? I mean. Success. Well, I don't. I don't see it as political. I just, you know, that's the way the industry is. It's it. The young have to, you know, you've had your turn. Now it's time for the for the next generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, for you to embrace music and still enjoy it, it's uh, like I said, you kind of got. You really all go through the ringer, you know. It, it, but be, to be able to still enjoy, do you still like? You can be honest with you know, you're with the people. Like, do you honestly still enjoy doing this? Obviously, you do. If maybe we wouldn't be doing it, or where are you in this? Uh, no, I like I like making music now more than ever. Uh, I mean, now I realize that I took it for granted, and and you know, I. I was deluded. I thought I'd be on tour forever. And, and, and now like I recognize it's all precious. So, so I do, you know, I do a bunch of this band that I have with Frank, it's, it's, you know, I haven't been doing a lot of playing my own music in the last 10 years. And this is, 
this band is like more of my my own music than than anything. It's when we do like eight, eight, 17 or eighteen of my songs. You know, half treble charger, half solo record, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's awesome. So, have you recorded, or are you going to record any of this? Uh, no, I don't really have. Well, I'm working on new music, but it's in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of working on treble charger stuff and some other stuff. Um, I haven't done a, but I've pretty much had a writing block since 2007. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a is that for traumatized, <laughs> or is that uh, just, is that just a is the priority life changes right? You know, priorities change, and yeah, it's, it's a bunch of things. A lot of it is just. But breaking the breaking the cycle, you know, when you're a when you're a full time musician, you're in that cycle of of tour, record, record, release the record, tour, start writing, record. So when you have a record that breaks that, you don't tour a record like my solo record. Then you don't get that. Okay, tour's over. Time to write more songs. Yeah, it's like oh, people don't want my songs anymore. Yeah, well, I mean that's your point of view. But the the, uh, the I- it's uh, yeah and and you know at the same time I became more more into songwriters more into songwriters songwriters more into songs mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. you know when 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 you start listening to Bob Dylan all the time then it's hard to write something that doesn't sound like ass. <laughs> well, I the. I, you know, I think though you need to reflect on what's going on. I mean, it, you, you can you can take ten years to write your an album. You can take two years. There's yeah. no rules saying when you have to now, which must be slightly liberating because you're not held to a um, contract or even just uh, your own expectations. Like anything you do now, you can just look at it from a whole completely different point of view, as opposed to like other people telling you what they think of it, which I think is wild, what I know is wildly frustrating. <laughs> to quote uh, my favorite Bob Dylan line, you can always come back, but you can't come back all the way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, but so, so you're, so you've been, so you've been listening, you've been working with Frank. I like Frank. Frank is a hell of a producer too. I don't know if you knew that you probably do, but he is uh, working on that Shannon Moan record. Right. I'm presently mixing that right now. Okay. Yeah. She played at the, uh, at the 12 musicians of Christmas. Yeah. So this 12 musicians of Christmas was really an awesome thing. Uh, but for me, because it was, it's basically 12 musicians, everyone, everyone gets two songs and you have all these, this talent of people to, to to use. So I grabbed everyone. Mm -hmm. So I did Christ, Christ is on the lawn with like, two people on each on each of the three harmony parts in the bridge. And I had two acoustic guitars and two electric guitars and keyboards and violin. And, and then I did the last song off my solo record with horns and sleigh bells. And so it was, uh, and I, I met, uh, I don't know if you know, Kale Matson. Oh yeah. Kale. Yeah. He's on the, sh- he's been on the show last year. Oh, nice. Yeah. That guy's, uh, and he's a yeah, I'd never met him before. I'd listened to a bit of his music, but uh, he played a couple of songs from his from that record that he's uh, uh, recording now, and they're just blew my blew my mind for his age, um, right? Like for whatever, yeah. Age. Why, yeah, killer, killer songs. 
Yeah, he's he is one of those. Um, he is definitely savant when it comes to writing songs. Um, he reminds me a lot of uh, Tom Darcy. Remember the Carnations, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, he has a very similar approach to music and. Uh, easy. No, Kale and I spent the entire, I guess, two two days. We spent two or three days, just like marveling over how we had the identical taste in music <laughs> yeah. other than like i don't really like the smiths he doesn't like pink floyd other than that it was like you know we all like the same dylan stuff wilco nick drake yeah bright yeah. eyes i've never been big into bright eyes i gotta say that's he's but he reminds that, me a little bit of that stuff too yeah yeah he like he's into that all yeah. that aughts indie rock stuff i'm very yeah, i'm very there's not a lot of new indie rock I like. I try. I, that. I don't listen to that much, but a lot of stuff I like. Like I try to, I try to understand Grizzly Bear, but I can't understand Grizzly Bear. There's some of it that I think it's uh, trying too hard. And Jennifer Castle, I try. I don't really understand that. Yeah. I, I love Kurt Vile and I love Deer Hunter. Deer, Deer Hunter is by far my favorite new band. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they're not that new, and they <laughs> and they and they sound like '90s indie rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, that's sort of a thing now too, right? Like uh, the yeah. nine that that sort of that drum tone and that sound and that producing approach is coming back, man. It's weird. Well, hopefully not the f- fucking drum tone, shitty snare sound, Dink. ringy, high tuned. God, I hate that. Like that was shuffle. What were they called? Um, Oh God, I can't remember now. But they had that real high piccolo snare. I don't think they sell piccolo snare. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Oh. Bing, bing. <laughs> or uh, yeah, but that's. I mean, it's funny. That's why I love. That's why my favorite decade is the seventies. I defy you to to find me a bad sounding snare recorded in the seventies. Well, let me try. I listen to a lot of seventies. The, the, the late late seventies shit pop stuff. Yes, yeah. but that almost doesn't count as that's the beginning of the 80s yeah okay i mean if you think about i don't know it's 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 a whole different i mean so, but that's your that's your aesthetic that's your that's your enjoyment there's um there's a lot of 70s i'm, un- I'm unapologetically raucous i will always be raucous yeah yeah did you say you weren't into pink floyd or you were into pink floyd oh i am oh i am too i uh yeah, I can't get enough of like Pink Floyd Animals. Uh, I think yeah. it by far outshines all the other records. I don't care what people say. Um, yeah, no, that's the one I put on my uh, 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 top 10 teenage albums. Mm-hmm. What did I have there? Uh, the one I missed that I should have put on was was ZZ Top Trez Hombres. That was big. That was a good one. Rolling Stones, Some Girls, Pink Floyd Animals. Yeah, what was that thing going around on Facebook? Everybody was putting their putting their records out there. It's yeah, like, you know, it's one of those Facebook yeah, things. Yeah, one of those things. At least they weren't putting what buckets of ice water over your head. That that, yeah. that was frustrating, you know. <laughs> the um, so Trouble Chargers back. You got two two different people playing in the band. Are they from Sault Ste. Marie? No, uh, um, I'm blanking. Jay, the drummer, is uh, is a guy that had worked with Greg. And uh, and I think Greg's still managed by Coalition, and he's part of the Coalition thing. And then they we had the um, we had the guy that plays with Thornley and and Thornley's band, uh, 
Dave, Dave McMillan, and he's a really good bass player. He's a bit of a bass player's bass player to me. He's one of those guys, like, it seems like he only listens to music that has great bass players on it, which is fine. <laughs> you're, you're a bass player. You're a pro bass player. I'm a bass player, yeah. yeah. Pedal board. I was like, come on, that's not right. Yeah. And, and so he, he couldn't make a date. And then maybe a year before I'd been at the Bovine and, and saw Flash Lightning and, and I watched and Darcy Yates as a bass player and, and and I was like, first song, I was like, wow, that guy is an awesome rock and roll bass player. If I ever need a rock and roll bass player, I want that guy. So, yeah. when, so when Dave could make it, I'm like, I got a guy. <laughs> and uh, and Darcy's a super awesome guy. And he's Darcy's basically like, you know, what day is it? Do, do you want the best bass player in Canada? If it's Tuesday, then oh, that's the other guy. But tomorrow it's Darcy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good to hear. He plays. Uh, he's in Bahamas now. You yeah. Know, if you play, if you play for Afi, you pretty much you pretty much know your shit. Yeah. That the, band is scary. I got to see them in the summer. Yeah. Just killer, killer band. Jason's still playing drums, Tate. Yeah. Yeah. Jason was. That was his last gig. Maybe his luck because they were going to go. They went to Europe without him. Oh. Um, interesting. Yeah. With uh, they took Don Kerr. Oh wow. That'd be cool. Also, and, and again, you know, it's a band of sweethearts. Yeah. You know, Don Kerr and Darcy are like the nicest guys in Canadian music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but Darcy's a killer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can't see enough about that. Uh, so, when you were fun. trying to get Trouble Charger, you're thinking about getting it back together. Did you even, con- did you consider the other two guys? Did you consider even. You know, we kind of, my thought was, was let's just work on our relationship and not get the other guys and go right back into that dysfunctional, you know, whose side are you on and whose side are you on? Mm-hmm. Let's just make it you and me. And then the decisions are easy. Do we both want to do it? Good. We're done. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense <laughs> because so, you're, uh, you you know, if you realize the different reason why you're doing it, why put yourself back in the old territory, Yeah, you know, and that's great. And, so is there any rumors out there or any things that we should be thinking about? Maybe there's going to be maybe a new Trouble Charger record or is there? Is uh, there... Can't say? Possible it might be an EP-ish kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of almost zeroing in. I'm, I'm, I'm almost ready to say I have two and a half songs. <laughs> I think I have two. I know I have one song. Yeah. Well, maybe I, it's it's like I have ninety percent of one song and sixty percent of another song and sixty mm. percent of another song. I think you'd be surprised how much those floodgates are going to open as soon as you put two of them down. I'll I'll bet you that once that happens, that's, yeah, that's very possible. Just, just starts flowing, you know. Like, you know, I haven't written too many songs late. I've been doing this podcast for two years now, so I've really written about five songs in two years. So because my my priorities are in different areas now, you know, so I didn't want to. I mean, it's tough, right? You know, and I got young family and stuff. So it's really tough to say, I'm going to go out on tour and I'm going to go play some shows and, you know, I'm going to go do this and that. So to me, this is the best way to stay home. You know, I highly recommend podcasts. Podcasts are, it's the new band, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The, um, well, yeah. So, so there might be some trouble charger. You don't know. Or is it just you talking? No, no, we're, it's, we're trying to we're trying to trying to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, that's uh, I mean, 
That's cool. Is there is there is there anything you want to talk about like back in the early early days of Trouble Charger? Or are you is this because it's kind of like a known story? Like people know about you guys. They know that you came up yeah. as an indie band and you know had some success. Like you know being an indie rock sort of phenomenon. Like based on like what made that little movement? Because there was something around sort of the mid nineties that just sort of you guys sort of just came up and then jumped into the scene. Like. Was moving down to Toronto from the Sioux, was that something that sort of, or were you in a different part of Canada? No, we were, the, the, the thing that, the thing that allowed us to be so successful, I believe, is that um, sometime around the, the late 80s, uh, I decided I was, I was going to concentrate on music if that's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to get together with Greg. So he was in Windsor with this band. So I moved to Windsor and joined this play bass for this band. And it was led by this guy. It was almost like a, it was kind of like a cross between like look people and bare naked ladies. It was a very novelty-ish band. It was really crappy band, but sort of fun, I guess. Do like, like, you know, obvious things like a, you know, distorted guitar hockey night in Canada theme kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, but the lead guy, I hated his guitar tone. He had that like Les Paul, uh, 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 boss distortion pedal sound, which I just, to this day is my <laughs> least favorite guitar tone ever. <laughs> and so, but this guy was just starting to do television, uh, directing and writing, doing, uh, kids stuff and so i could we could both see that this band had no future so i said greg let's move to toronto and start our own band so we moved to toronto we found some guys through a now magazine thing a drummer and a bass player and we started rehearsing and then we recorded in uh in our, actually our old the guy from the from the novelty band in his his house he had a I guess a half inch eight track Tascam thing. And we recorded, I engineered this album. I had no idea what I was doing. We made a whole record. Our band was called Warehouse and it was all original songs. It was all like first songs I ever wrote. And we recorded it and we mixed it, like double scare quotes there. Cause I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> And then we printed some cassettes, not a lot, like 20, and we listened to it and we thought, this is terrible. (laughs) And we just kept going. And then we kind of, the birth of the treble charger sound was kind of, I see it as, 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 you know, I was really big into Sonic Youth, but at the time, Sonic Youth was so strange that it wasn't anything that I could say, oh, I'm going to rip these guys off and sound like Sonic Youth. I didn't, I didn't understand how you could do that. Mm-hmm. And then the band Swerve Driver, we heard that band, and I thought, now this is Sonic Youth that I can understand. Oh, yeah. We just need to buy distortion pedals. So we bought, bought distortion pedals, and then our drummer said, you know what, I'm not into this like wall of sound thing. And he had awesome taste. He, he got me into wire. Uh, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and then we got another, we got the next drummer whose name shall not be mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> and uh, 
because I'm not legally allowed to say that he's a terrible drummer. Oh, wow. Sounds uh... <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and it... so, yeah, that was that, that. Then we, then we, you know, recorded uh, the three songs from our cassette, first cassette, mm-hmm. Red and Cubicle and 10th Grade Love, maybe. I can't remember. And then the cassette hit and then everything started happening. So that's my advice to, to young bands always is make a record and then just destroy it. Just shelve it and write another record. Because your first record, like, I guarantee you it's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're Pete Townsend. Maybe you're you're Bob Dylan. But I doubt it. Yeah. Well, you're, you know, we we know that people get better at what they do as they get older. Unfortunately, the industry doesn't know that part in Canada and in America being what ageist, you know, gender, no, ageist yeah. sort of like pretty boyist kind of industry, you know, pretty face and all that stuff. But uh, it, I truly believe that people get better at what they do as they get older. And that's what is missing in the industry is that people need to sort of understand that, hey, man, like you got to go through some shit to understand what you're doing and um that yeah i mean it's so funny because everybody relies on their first release so huge you know it's going to pivot and change how your life will be on your first record you know and that doesn't exist i mean right i mean right now i'm i i honestly i'm at the peak of my powers Mm -hmm. like i like I, I'm such a better guitar player than I was 20 years ago. I'm a better singer. I can do so much more. You know, any bands out there listening, like you need a side man. I'm your guy. Yeah, I sing harmonies. I, 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 I'm a glue guy with guitar. I, I'm. I spent like I spent like six years, I guess, b- 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 in, in Toronto playing at a at a Tuesday night open mic with a band and so for six years it was my job to like make up for you know you've been to open jams yeah. people come they've like there i've been waiting to to play these ten thousand notes all week <laughs> so every solo i would take would be like note couple more notes here's a note yeah. solo's over yeah <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, you you have a slow hand approach to your solos to begin with. I don't think you've ever been a noodler uh, no. with your actual style. Um, I was just remembering the times you'd come over to my house and play solos on my songs, and I always thought that was such a cool thing because you know I was I looked up to you guys. You know, like here's a band that's made it, and this guy's coming over to play solos on a song that will never be heard by anybody. You know, and that, about that stuff. Yeah, send me some of your songs. My soul's on. I can't even. I probably wouldn't be able to find them. They're on dat on dats now, and I don't even have a dat player. But I, you know, you know what? You you have. We recorded. I recorded at your place. This lost EP that, like, it's this lost song of mine. Hmm. And I don't. I don't even think you have a copy. But we did it on a dat, and we mixed it to a dat, and right away we sent the dat to RCA. Oh, it was a demo. Now, was it at the uh, the Ossington studio or was it down it at, was at the, was the Ossington house? studio? Holy crap. It was when we, I know that we rented this piano 
this electric piano that, and I played piano and organ on the song. It was a very REM kind of circular chorus song with all these. And I've like, for years I've been like, I got, I got to find that song. <laughs> the, uh, you know, and I know when that was because I wrote a Christmas song with, with that piano. <laughs> Because right. it was there at the studio, and you went and rented it, and then I ended up writing this Christmas song for my family, and it's our new little favorite Christmas song to play, nice. and it's the piano, and I just put it together in my head because I'm thinking, when did I ever have like a touch sensitive weighted piano, um, electric piano, no doubt, at my studio? And I think, and now when you just put that together, it's like, oh yeah, that's when I wrote that song. So. Uh, Man, if you could get that, da- I know the ADATs had a bit of a. I thought I gave all the ADATs back to bands, but I ended up somehow with like a. a like mix. I said, we mixed. We we did one one mix, and we t- sent the thing away. Mm. <laughs> we didn't like even. I don't think it's safety the technology to, to to make it. I don't even think we probably only had one DAT, so we couldn't even do another pass. <laughs> Yeah, right? Listen to like where we're at today, man. Like I got a board over here that does 32 inputs and records it. So and- I don't know how many how many old uh, old ADATs. I mean, uh, yeah, ADATs you got. There was a what? purge. There was a purge. Not the not the I mean the 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 multis, the VHS things. Yeah. There like I said there was a purge because they're all gone. I yeah, yeah cuz I I ended up having them all in my loft for like five, 10 years. And then I'm finally at the end of it all. I'm like, nobody's got these. And, or I keep, you know, nobody's either. And a lot of the times I would keep it because the band would owe me money. So I would keep the masters and then just in case. Just yeah. in case. And then uh, when I finally never got paid, then I usually just maybe just like put it up in the loft and say, okay, that's where they go. And um, I think there was a big heat wave which ended up screwing up like 99% of them right and I have one ADAT machine and it's in my parents barn and it's just sitting there and I walk by it every time I go by it and I laugh because I look at the thing I'm like I can't believe that was I spent so much money on that one thing they cost 3200 bucks a piece and I had three of them I was like what the listen I mean I have two laptops I have a computer under here I have four laptops right in front of me and it's like the price and the the amount of uh availability to recording now it's 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 unbelievable i mean we're in a great day for like demoing and capturing yeah except that the unlimited tracks is a bad thing it can be it can be but you know ron hawkins i talked to him and he actually puts his pro tools into destructive mode so you can't actually go back and listen to what you've recorded. So he treats it like a tape machine and there's a purpose behind it, you know, and it not, it actually saves hard drive space, but at the same time you just have to commit to what. No, that's what I, if, if I was producing anyone's record, I would say, I would say we're going to do this many tracks and we're going to act like we only have mm-hmm. 24 tracks. Yeah, absolutely. Because in that way you're forced to make musical decisions constantly. Yeah. Yeah, I think the days of... And that's all of our favorite records were made that way. Absolutely. They're like, we, okay, we got to mix this drums and bass for real now because it's we're putting it on the same track and it's <laughs> yeah. no going back, so better be perfect. Yeah, there is a... Um, in my point of view with music, I think listening to live played music is such a, a treat, warts and all. And uh, I've been getting into trying recording bands live, like in front of people, like live records and stuff. Right. Because that to me is more exciting than being in this little clinical point, you know, 
it just it somehow it actually locks it in to say, oh, well, you played really well there. Some other times, not so good. But I like as a whole, you know. I was just listening to a police song. Um, um, what song is it? Uh, so lonely. There's a fucking bass mistake on that song. <laughs> it's bad. A big bass mistake, and but it's still there. It's a classic song. So I don't know. Maybe today it wouldn't be so. It wouldn't be taken as serious. I don't know. I don't really like live recordings because you can't get the magic. No one live recordings, especially of a rock band, are problematic for for the lead vocal because it's it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we all know how you, you know you, you can you can go to a show and you can think like, "Wow, that, I can't believe." how great this singer is. It's flawless. And if you heard a board tape of that, you'd go like, ouch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's something about you lose that matter. Something about when someone sings through a PA and you're physically there, there's something there that you, you cannot capture. Yeah. On the two tracks mixed down to two tracks and go, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting everything now. It's like a tribe mentality because everybody's like, you look into the person either side of you and you're like, oh, this is amazing. And you're okay. Now I'm convinced this is amazing. You know, so maybe somehow you're hypnotized into that. Um, you know, I must say though, that the technology has caught up to being able to allow the free capture of it. And the, we can do lots of capturing and pick all the best songs from that set, you know, and then throw the rest of them away. Because so you can actually go get more because it's essentially cheaper. So that's, you know, that the only, right. you know, and the other thing I had about it but is that, that to me that just that just says like, oh, do another pass with lots of mistakes and we'll just use we'll just string together. Yeah. Well, I mean, what my point I think is is that that you're not putting them under the gun to perform perfectly. And with that allows them to perform better because there's no pressure to be perfect. You know, if you think you have two 24 track machines rolling in a truck and you pull up on the Massey Hall stage, it's not going to be your best show, you know? But if a guy shows up with a laptop and plugs into the board and says, go, whatever you get, it's going to be great. There's no, I don't want to say expectation, but there's no uh, pressure, you know? Because I, you know, I don't know. I've been working for a band the past three or four years and I record every show and um, they've gotten so used to it that, you know, they're pulling out some great sounding recordings, but the first couple of songs are like, oh, you know, they're a bit nervous, you know. So, yeah, I, I also said I put a limit on like, if you want me to take video, I don't agree with the video part. If you want to make a live DVD, I, I have a unless you're like Adele or you're a big stadium or Muse or something where you can actually pull this great show together visually. Right. I think if you're doing a club recording, having the audio in your brain and being able to put your own story together, I think is a is a more effective. Yeah. Well, um, shit, man. Um, you, you know, like, I got to give you credit. You know, you've been playing music for so many years and I, I, you know, I always looked up to you guys. I always thought you guys were just such a, you know, you put through, I, cause I was there politically when all that shit was going down and, uh, and I don't know how, you know, I learned a lot about the record industry when I worked for you guys. So, you know, I have to give you props for that because not a lot of people would put up with, uh, that much garbage because there was a lot of garbage been thrown your way and i don't know how i would deal with it myself so uh you know you know you came out the other end and you're not completely insane 
you know, a little insane. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, man. So thanks for putting out so many great records and thanks for doing this, uh, this thing. And, uh, I hope it was, uh, I hope you're okay. And I think everything, yep. hope everything went well. Yep. That was my pleasure. That was Bill Priddle, everybody. That was fun. Fun little chat. I haven't talked to Bill in a while. Bill's always been the same Bill. He's Bill. He's that, that's Bill Priddle. He'll always be that Bill Priddle. So, thanks for doing the show, Bill. Everybody, don't forget to go to Apple. If you want to support the show through Amazon, go to appalog.ca slash Amazon, and you'll support the show if you're Canadian. Uh, otherwise, if you want to support the show through Amazon by shopping through Amazon, you can go to appalog.ca and check out the banners on the right side. Hey, support the show. It's very cool. Uh, don't forget about my Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash appalog. I don't know if I mentioned that at the start. Pretty sure I did. Patreon.com slash Apple. That's it. So there you go. Um, that's all I got about today. That's all I got about tonight. Super Bowl's on right now, and the Patriots are getting slammed. Slammed right now. So I got to go back up there and watch the rest of that show. But I've uh, made, put myself on this little schedule where every Monday there's an episode of the show that you can listen to. I see that people download it and I see that people listen to it. So therefore, my commitment to you is to stop watching the Super Bowl so I can give you this podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show, everybody. We'll see you next week. It'll be Liam Colleen. He's a manager. He's also an old friend. He was a co-op student of mine in my studio back in the 90s. And now he's a rock mogul. I'm going to call him a rock mogul. That's what he is. Hey, see you next week. Bye.